we what we have built is a global national security state, which is fantastically expensive. And there are many different component parts from the underground bases to the secret space program. But essentially, it's a, you know, I call it the tapeworm. It is a financial parasite that is simply, you know, harvesting and destroying great parts of the economy. Good day, brothers and sisters. I hope you were doing great. I've got a, uh, if you go back and listen or look at our uh, previous podcast on the missing trillions that we posted as a special report on 9-11. This has been something I've been talking about for a while, but need to give enough attention to it because this is a major funding mechanism that, that goes haywire and goes dark really fast that we're unable to track. And this again, people, this is yours and mine's money. It's not the government's money. Don't ever say the government's money. The government's money is the people's money. So keep that in mind as you're listening to this because as I listen to it, I am just beside myself. The more and more that I understand how all these different games and criminal activities are pulled by these high-level criminals... If anybody is choosing to get into politics and run under one of those specific umbrellas, you know that they are a scammer, and more than likely you look into their background and they've got just slime all over them. But this is going to be a two-part interview, possibly three-part. Just look at the title here um, that's posted and you'll, you'll, you'll know it. But uh, I hope you get a lot out of this because it is an ongoing uh, topic that needs to be under review and scrutiny by us, we the people, because this is where all of these groups that do all the things against us, this is a big part of where they get their money. And as you'll hear um, Catherine talk about, She believes that the HUD program is where a lot of the money laundering has been cleaned. Where I would love to try to to talk with her to figure out how we can track the money that is put into these uh, media companies like CNBC, MSNBC. Uh, companies like that because when you look at it their financials don't make any sense it's just like the the Comcast and Xfinity's of the world none of it makes sense but when you think about trillions you know upwards of 20 plus trillion dollars then you start getting an idea of what can be done with it those type of numbers people are un unimaginably useful by dark entities. So let's get into this right now. Oh, before we get there, if you want to sign up for our news uh, or for our email list, you can get these information sent directly to you. And, uh, you know, we're doing this as a free press, independent, uh, patriot uh, reporting entity. A journalist, quasi journalist, you know, I'm not giving that title because I'm not an educated journalist, but I've been doing research and analyzing this information for over 25 years. 
So I hope you get out of this what is intended. Uh, share this information far and wide, brothers and sisters. Let's get into this interview with Catherine Austin Fitz, The Missing Trillions. Welcome back, friends. James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com, in a conversation that is being recorded on the 26th of November 2019. And today we are talking once again to Catherine Austin Fitz of Solari.com. And you will definitely remember her because we had the chance to talk to her not so dis- not in the not-so-distant past, just a couple of months ago. We were talking about the financial coup d'etat. So go back to interview 1479 if you happen to miss that conversation. I think it was a particularly important one on a particularly important topic that I've been attempting to cover for a number of years now. Uh, Just type missing trillions into my search bar and you'll find several different reports that I've done over the years on it. But more importantly, go to missingmoney.solari.com for much more detailed reports, including a detailed breakdown of the 21 trillion, yes, that is trillion with a T, 21 trillion dollars that we know has gone missing or somehow is being fudged on the books over the past several years. You'll also want to pick up a copy of the Solari Report, specifically The Real Game of Missing Money, a two-part series that the Solari Report has recently published, uh, details of which will be in the show notes uh, for today's conversation, along with everything else. Catherine Austin Fitz, thanks for joining us once again. Thanks, James. It's always great to be back. Well, it's good to have you back, especially because since the last time we talked, there has been a little bit of some sort of movement on this topic specifically. We were talking, of course, and noting about, for example, the Pentagon's failed audit last year. Well, they've right. just gone through a second failed audit. But don't worry, <laughs> they were expecting this one. So it's okay. Of course, they're going to fail. Uh, is there anything, any details from this failed audit that are important for people to know about? Well, I think what's important to recognize is that their solution for all of this is to change the policy. So we had the issuance late last year of Federal Accounting Standards Advisory Board Statement 56, which gives them permission to move things secret. And so now, you know, whether they pass an audit or not, it's meaningless. If they if they announce, James, they pass an audit, I would tell you it's meaningless because what they've done is, you know, they've solved the ultimate uh, problem of cookbooks by simply institutionalizing secret books. And more important, it's a secret process by secret people who create secret books and you can't know who did it or what they did. And so when you look at the financial statements of the 24 covered agencies, they didn't just do it for DOD. They did it for the uh, covered agencies and uh, approximately 154 other government entities. And when you add in the classification laws, it includes all the big banks and corporations doing business with government. And so literally now, when you pick up the financial statements of any of the major players at the New York Fed or any of the major financial institutions, any of, of the major defense contractors, you have no idea what their financial statements mean. So this is a complete... You know, this is the most, the majority of the U.S. securities market, including the U.S. Treasuries market, going dark. So all the information that investors need to do proper due diligence is gone. And so if the Department of Defense said that they either pass or don't pass an audit, it's totally meaningless. You have no idea what it means. And it's interesting, if you look at the leadership of Federal Accounting Standards Advisory Board that promulgated this policy, what they said was their only other choice was essentially to permanently recuse the Department of Defense's 
financial statements. Now, I would say that's far preferable because now what you've done is you've essentially recused the entire U.S. government financial statements. So we are real, you know, I call it never, never land accounting. We are truly in never, never land accounting. And it's, uh, it's quite remarkable. So on that note, I think it is important to bring up the context. There was recently a costs of war project at Brown University's Watson Institute for International and Public Affairs report on the war on terror that claims 801,000 lives and $6.4 trillion have been spent on this war on terror. Um, Again, what, what meaning does any of those numbers have, given that this is coming from public statements from the DOD? Um. They have some meaning in the sense that we know we've spent a fantastic amount of money fielding and managing and using a global military. So we have a significant military presence and bases all around the world, and we know that it's fantastically expensive. So whether these numbers make sense or not, I don't know. Now, I happen to believe you know, if you go back to the history of the black budget, back to 47 and 49, what you have is you have this rapacious secret operations that are constantly demanding more and more money. And of course, the more you build and invest in them, the more they demand, you know, so underground bases require maintenance, global spraying requires more spraying. If there's a secret space program, you know, spaceships get old and need to be replaced. So, this thing seems to compound and grow over time. And we literally saw with FASB 56 a decision for the secret part of the finances and the secret operations to basically take over the, you know, we have an overt economy and a covert economy, and the covert economy and the hidden system of finance just basically took over everything. Now, we've been watching this for years. So for years, people have been complaining as the secret money rolled into Wall Street, you know, and took, you know, increasingly took over the media industry and other industries. We've seen complaint of the dirty money rolling in and, you know, building the offshore havens. And so this has been going on for a long, long time because what the the 21 trillion missing from the federal government since fiscal 1998 is just part of this growth of a secret national security state. And the explosion, this was growing steadily, but 9-11 really exploded um, the growth. And a decision, you know, the war on poverty was good, but then they turned, you know, we did the next, the war on drugs, that was good. And then they needed a new shtick, essentially. And then we started the war on terror. And it's very interesting. If you go back and research, I've just been reading a couple of books about the early part of the war on terror. You have this fantastically expensive national security state looking for terrorists, <laughs> you know, and having to create terrorists so they can have a war on terror. And um, we, what we have built is a global national security state, which is fantastically expensive And there are many different component parts from the underground bases to the secret space program. But essentially, it's a, you know, I call it the tapeworm. It is a financial parasite that is simply, you know, harvesting and destroying great parts of the economy. 
Exactly right. And if we have lost anybody about FASTB56 and what specifically happened, I will suggest they go back and listen to our first conversation where we did talk about that. But let's move on because you did broach the subject that I really want to get into today, which is, so what is this money being used for? And let's pick up on something that you mentioned last time that I think is important. Uh, You mentioned that the president of CalPERS back in April of 1997 warned you that they have given up on the country. They are moving all the money out starting in the fall. What does that mean? What did that, how did you interpret that at the time? Well, and what have I, you since come to understand? At the time, what I thought he meant, I was, I was presenting a proposal to a leading group of pension fund leaders who were very interested in rebuilding the U.S. economy and sort of getting the U.S. economy on a sound foot. And I had done incredible deep diving and looking at the U.S. government budget and the U.S. economy by place. So America breaks down to 3,100 counties. And what we had discovered was that the government money had a negative return on investment and could easily be re-engineered to a positive in a way that would create enormous capital gains on the real estate and the economy and could really help the pension funds make their targets. Because the great concern at that time was how would the pension funds, you know, sort of support the boomers in their old age. And so we had rolled out an entire presentation on this re-engineering of the government budget and doing it place by place in 3,100 counties in a way that would produce huge capital gains for the pension funds and take care of the boomer retirement, sort of rejuvenating, you know, a sort of a 1997 version of Make America Great Again in the face of globalization and what globalization was doing to employment. So the president of CalPERS, who was one of the members, froze and he said, you know, uh, this was Alinsky's plan and they stopped him. And uh, I said, well, you know, what we're talking about is now we have technology that can radically increase learning metabolism in communities that can create enormous equity wealth. And he then he froze and he looked at me and he said, you don't understand. It's too late. They've given uh, they've given up on the country. They're moving all the money out starting in the fall. He said, you've got to get to Nick, meaning Nick Brady, who'd been the former secretary of the Treasury, who'd been the chairman of Dillon Reed, where I was a partner. He said, you've got to get to Nick and tell them that it's not too late. It's not hopeless. And I thought he meant, James, that they had given up on investment in the country and they had given direction to all the pension funds to reallocate equity to investment in the emerging markets as part of globalization. And so I thought he meant that the pension funds were going to shift equity and the big investors and the, you know, the big school endowments, foundation endowments were going to shift their allocation from U.S. domestic equity to global equity and not just to the developed markets, but to the emerging markets. So I just thought he was talking about legal reallocation of legal monies. And then what happened was we discovered when he said it's starting in the fall, fall is the beginning of the federal fiscal 1998 year. When the fiscal 1998 year closed, what we discovered was fantastic amounts of money were going missing from HUD. Now, the reason I was focused on HUD is having been a leader of the reform of HUD information systems, technology, and financial and legal arrangements, I knew that there was no reason for HUD's books to not be absolutely perfect. You know, HUD had the resources, it had the laws, it had everything it needed to have perfect books. Why would fantastic amounts of money start to go missing? And at the time, I had a a Senate staffer complain to me 
the the chief of staff to the senator who was in charge of the appropriation committee for HUD, that HUD was, quote, being run as a criminal enterprise. Now, what you need to understand is HUD is run essentially by the Treasury Department, the Department of Justice, the New York Fed member banks with J.P. Morgan Chase in the lead, and a group of big IT contractors at that time, Lockheed Martin, uh, DynCorp was in there. And so you can't run HUD as a criminal enterprise unless they intentionally are organized to run it that way, which I later came to believe. So, so what we saw was not a movement of the overt equity out of the U.S. What we saw was a covert movement of massive amounts of money being pulled out of the United States to be reinvested. You know, your guess is as good as mine. I think some of it was reinvested in Asia, as he said it would be. Um, but I think some of it uh, really represents an explosion of the covert side of the national security state. And a real vision of, okay, we can run the planet on a unipolar model using the national security state and the war on terror is basically a, you know, a way to assert control of all resources globally. You're looking at a command and control model for all resources, and that necessitated dramatic increases in movements of our military globally, which is exactly what happened.